0: Alright, hey everybody, it's good to see you. My name is Brian, I'm one of the pastors here uh, at the Summit, and we are concluding this series where we are uh, re- recapping and recasting, a little, little bit of a tongue twister there, um, our vision and values uh, as we kick off 2014. And tonight, what we're going to talk about is the one thing that we're asking God to do in and through the Summit Church, uh, really more than anything else, um, what we're asking God for in 2014 is for Him to multiply us. If you remember last year, um, the the vision, kind of the one word, uh, the one thing that we were asking God for is that we would be rooted, that we would be rooted in this community for multiple generations. And God gave us really abundantly more than we could have ever asked or imagined. And here's what we believe in 2014. The heart of what we believe is that the reason God has given us roots is so that we as a church would be fruitful and multiply that when we look at what happened last year and all the incredible things that we've shared and we'll continue to share tonight, the reason God has given us these blessings and these victories is not so that they would be a capstone, but rather a foundation to build upon, not as an end, but instead as a beginning. And so that is really what we want to be after in 2014, unapologetically asking God for more. Now, Before we kind of jump into what does that practically mean for us as a church, what you and I have to acknowledge on the front end is that it's kind of human nature um, for us to believe that when we accomplish something great, It is the end. It is over. It is the capstone, and um, that's it. It's time to call it a night and uh, retire. I've been dying to tell you this story uh, ever since our church began in my living room, and tonight is the night. So um, I hope I haven't built this up too much. But many of you know um, my brother Eric, my younger brother Eric, um, who he's a great member here. He plays drums most Sundays. Um, But when Eric and I were in school, particularly when he was in uh, seventh grade and I was in high school, Eric took his first ever science exam. Exams at my school, Started uh, in the seventh grade. And the reason I remember uh, Eric's first science exam so well is not so much the exam as much as what happened after the exam. Because what happened is, you know, mom picks us up from school, drives us home, and um, I'm not sure what I go and do, but Eric, kind of without the awareness of the rest of our family, um, goes outside and he takes his science notebook and he proceeds to tear out. All of the notes that he had used that semester and put them in a pile um, about three feet away from our house. That's important for you to understand for this story. Um, So he he takes these notes, he puts them in a pile about three feet away from the house. Our house was also made of wood. You also need to understand that. Um, Puts them in a pile three feet away from the house. Proceeds to light them on fire, and you know, is some sort of kind of like pagan um, cult-like celebration that my science exam has come to uh, an end. Now. Um, what was so humorous about that story, actually Eric and I talked a little bit about that story this past week, and what was so humorous to us um, was not that he uh, almost burned our house down. Um, he didn't, so that's good. The house did not catch on fire. What was not humorous, he also he reminded me of this. He told me that um, he, he had kind of thought ahead, and he had brought up this like, tiny little bowl of water, so in case the house does catch on fire, he'd just be like, Shh, and immediately extinguish. Um, that was the funniest part. The funniest part to me is the assumption that he was carrying that like, he would never need that information ever again right, like it was his first science exam ever, and he's like, I'm done, baby, no more science for me, I'm done, burn the notes, ready to move on, when, I mean, really, it's like, you realize there's the eighth grade, and the ninth grade, and the tenth grade, the eleventh grade, and and so on, and therefore, and you know, I mean, that information was meant not to sort of be a, an end, just a beginning. It, it was a foundation that was meant to be built upon for years to come. And all of us have this propensity to believe this when we accomplish really great things, that it's the end, not the beginning. But for us as a church, what we believe as we look at what God did over the last year is the reason He gave us roots is so that we would be fruitful and multiply and that we would look towards 2014 in the future, not kind of, you know, saying like, well, what's a great experience? What a cool phase in the life of our church where we believed and attempted great things for God, but instead we continue to radically step out in faith and believe that he can accomplish things greater than we could ever ask or imagine. And so as we kind of wrap up this series and look at Jeremiah 29, uh, one final week, what, what we're looking for and asking for is how do we as an organization, how do we as individuals multiply our lives and specifically multiply the grace and glory of God in this city and to the ends of the earth in an incredible, incredible way. Now, when we go ahead and uh, look at the passage that we just read uh, again, you know we've looked at it for two weeks, and this is the third week now. And so, what we saw first was the call uh, on Christians in the city uh, to be rooted in that city, have a vision to be in that city for multiple generations. Uh, we looked last week at how. Christians in the city are called to seek the welfare of the city and to seek the, uh, the peace of God spilling into every public and private sector of life. And, and tonight, we'll look at the call to multiply, for us as Christians to multiply. And look at verse 6. Verse 6 is really the key verse for us tonight. Verse 6 says this. He says this, Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not... Decrease. So you see that there at the very end of verse 6. Multiply there and do not decrease. And so what God is saying is our faith is meant to do more than just uh, survive in the city, it is meant to thrive and multiply. Now, what's important for you to understand as we're kind of trying to wrap this around in our lives is this is not a new command. This command is something that God gave to his people from the beginning. And I mean the beginning. I mean as early as Genesis chapter 1. It stems back to something called the creation mandate. The creation mandate. And we're going to have this up here on the screen um, so you can understand. I mean, from the very beginning of the Bible and the creation of humanity, God gives this call on his first people. He says this to our first parents, Adam and Eve. The creation mandate is this. God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, when people read um, this right here, and when people read Jeremiah 29, they see the call Um, to be fruitful and multiply, a lot of times what people kind of instantly think is what this is predominantly about is me having kids, me having kids, a lot of kids, filling the earth with my kids. And there is a major familial uh, thrust to this passage, but that's not really the the heart of what God is after here. He's he's after something much bigger, much more robust. Now, um, this is a little bit theological, a little bit technical, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read you a quote from an Old Testament scholar named John Walton, who teaches at Wheaton in Chicago. Um, and then after none of you have comprehended it because I read it so fast, then we'll explain it. Sound good? Okay, I'm going to read it. Here's what he says. Here's, here's how he kind of explains what is going on here with this call to multiply from the very beginning. Here's what he writes. If people were going to fill the earth, we must conclude that they were not intended to stay in the garden in a static st- situation. Yet moving out of the garden would appear a hardship since land outside the garden was not as hospitable as that inside the garden. Otherwise, the garden would not be distinguishable perhaps then we should surmise that people were gradually supposed to extend the garden as they went about subduing and ruling. Extending the garden would extend the sacred space since that is what the garden represented. Here's what he's saying, is that when God gives the call, you see this throughout the entire Bible, to be fruitful and multiply. The, the primary thrust is not for you to just get married and have kids, even though that's a, a great call and it's, a, it's a, a huge call on your life. What he's saying is the primary thrust of what's happening in Genesis chapter 1, of what's echoed in Jeremiah 29, is that we would multiply the grace and the glory of God to the ends of the earth. That we would have a vision for our lives, that we would multiply worshipers. Through whatever sphere of influence we've been entrusted with, that we would multiply the number of people who recognize that God is who he says he is. That from the very beginning in Genesis chapter one and what's echoed here in Jeremiah 29 is that it is in your DNA. It is in our design to multiply our lives. It's It's just part of who you are. And what's so important for you to understand then is that you have to. You will function according to your design. This is just the way reality works. I know that you know, many of us, we grew up on Disney movies where a toaster you know, is like, I don't want to be a toaster anymore. I want to be a bird. I want to fly with the birds. But you know what happens in reality? If a toaster tries to fly, it doesn't go well. It has to function according to its design. and It's the same way for you. You have to function according to your design. And what you're being told here is that you have been designed by God to multiply your life. And so here's what this means. This is very practical for your life. There's kind of a couple implications of this. The first is this. Is because this is part of our design, we all want to multiply. We all want to multiply. We all want to multiply our lives. Now, this is ironic because, you know, there's kind of nothing less trendy in culture than saying right now, like, you know what I'd love to do? I'd love to impose my beliefs on other people, right? It's the exact opposite, right? Like, you be you and I'll be me and um, we will never disagree with one another and the most loving thing to do is to be completely tolerant of one another. But, But can we just be honest for a second and admit that none of us operate that way? Can we just be honest for a moment and say, like, as soon as you see a movie that you enjoy, challenges you, changes the way you think about your life. All of that is tossed out uh, out the window, and you're like, have you seen this movie? Do you want to see this movie? Do I need to take you to see this movie? Do I need to pay for you to see this movie? Did you not like the movie? I'm not sure if we can be friends if you didn't like this movie, because everybody should love this movie. I mean, as soon as we are exposed to anything good and beautiful, we desire to multiply in the lives of those who matter the most and who are closest to us. This is with the movies we see, the books we read, the bands we discover, the parenting methods methods we think are most effective. We love to multiply our lives. And even if you're the person who's sitting here right now and you're like, you're completely wrong. It's completely wrong for you to ever impose your beliefs onto other people. Well, I mean, all that's happening in your head right now is a desire for you to impose your belief on me that you should never impose your beliefs onto other people, okay? Let's move on. Um, Second implication with this is not only do we all want to multiply our lives, but we all do multiply our lives as well. Because it's in our DNA, we do. It's part of our design. We all do multiply our lives. And you know this as well also. I mean, you've probably had the sibling or the friend who was like really easy to get along with. And then all of a sudden they married somebody who's not as easy to get along with. And then like a couple years after they're married, you're like, man, I don't even know if I wanna hang out with you anymore. Um, You know, you've got the friend who's got the weird quirks and the weird personality. Traits and you're like, how does somebody develop that? Just now, nat- I mean, where does that come from? And then you meet their parents and you're like, okay, this like all makes complete sense. Or even you've experienced this in your own life. Many of you are transplants to the city and you've been here for a few months, a few years, and like everything about you has changed. Your wardrobe, for example, nobody told you to grow a beard, start wearing flannel, and it just happened. Like a plaid truck exploded in your closet, and that's just what you do. Like you just do it because it's like I'm around it all the time, and that's what people. So so we. All We all do multiply our lives. And so the, the key question then you have to ask yourself is that this is part of our design then. It's not if I will multiply my life, but here's the key question. What kind of life am I going to multiply? Think about that for a second. Not if, but what kind of life am I going to multiply onto the people that matter the most, the people who are around me the most? my friends, and my neighbors, and my co-workers, and my family, and my children? What kind of life am I going to multiply? Am I going to photocopy onto them? You know, the, the challenging thing is if you have kind of any self-awareness with that question whatsoever, it's tremendously overwhelming, isn't it? It's tremendously frightening, because you can probably, if you know your family history whatsoever, you can see how you know, dad, or granddad's anger problem became dad's anger problem that is now your struggle with anger today as well. Or you can probably trace how um, grandma's empty marriage led to mom being attracted to really bad men, which leads to now, like, if you look at your dating history, ladies, many of you could say, like, I'm, like, drawn to really unhealthy men as well. It just seems to happen. I mean, and so if we think critically kind of about our mistakes, the dysfunction we grew up around, I mean, it's a tremendously frightening prospect to know that it's part of our DNA that we will photocopy our lives onto the people who matter the most. But this is where Christianity is such unbelievably good news. The gospel of Jesus Christ starts to come alive and and flourish in the areas of our lives that that matter the most. Because what's being commanded here in Genesis 1, what's being echoed in Jeremiah 29 is not, is not, let me emphasize, is not be fruitful and multiply. And if you grew up around a lot of dysfunction and if you've made a lot of mistakes in your life, well, I mean, that's just sort of tough cookies and that's just the hand you were dealt. And I feel really sorry for your kids. I mean, you really should have behaved better. And um, it's just inevitable that this is the way it's gonna be in your family for as, as long as you can imagine. That's, that's, not, that's not what he's saying here. He's saying that what you were designed to do is not just multiply your life, but to multiply the grace and the glory of God and, and the beauty of the gospel. When Jesus Christ, he dies for us and he redeems and restores us back to God. What it means is we are also redeemed and restored back to this creation mandate, what we were designed and intended to do when the foundations of the earth were laid. And what it means then for those of you who are followers of Jesus, those of you who want to become followers of Jesus, even tonight, is that if you are a follower of Jesus, what your primary identity is is not the anger of your parents, is not the cynicism of your mother, is not the dysfunction of your past relationships, is not, um, you know, growing up in an environment where uh, money couldn't be handled well. People were trying to uh, always get it or people were always losing it, is not, um, y- addictions. It's not addictions. It's not characterized by those things. In the gospel, Jesus Christ makes you your primary identity. As grace-filled and glory-manifesting son or daughter of the king. And what it means when you then become a follower of Jesus Christ is you are not doomed to replicate the mistakes of your past. You are not doomed to multiply the, the, the errors uh, of your family, but instead you have an opportunity to write a brand new chapter. Not even a new chapter, a brand new book, a brand new legacy to say, I am going to multiply grace and glory. Because that's what I was designed and intended to do. And so you will, you will multiply something. The question is, what kind of life are you going to multiply? And in the gospel, this does not become heavy or burdensome or frightening, but instead exciting at the opportunity to make much of the one person in the universe who deserves to be made much of. So we all want to multiply. We, we will multiply. And, and our vision then as a church in 2014 is we would be a people both organizationally and individually who would multiply. And then kind of the natural question then you should be asking if you're, you're tracking with me up to this point is, okay, well, how in the world do we go about uh, doing this? And that's a really great question. And so let's, uh, let's take it at the organizational level. Let's just get super practical for us as an organization and then super practical for you as an uh, individual. Now, um, start organizational. It, it, what you have to understand is it's always been part of our DNA as a church to, to have a vision for multiplication. In fact, I can remember we were started out of a church uh, in North Carolina, and I can remember when uh, myself and our kind of original core team were brought up on the stage before the church um, that we were being started out of. And um, JD, the lead pastor, um, you know, this is a it, this church was huge. so It's got like multiple services, and each service had about a thousand people in this room. Um, He gets me up on stage, and um, he doesn't really tell me what he's going to say, but he, he looks at me, and he says, I charge you in front of our church to not hoard the blessings God will give you in the coming years, but to multiply them throughout your city into the ends of the earth. Do you accept this charge? And then he puts the microphone right in my mouth, and I'm like, I do. You know, like I don't know what else I can say um, in response to that, other than that. So I believed it, though. I wasn't just saying it because I was supposed to. I, I believed that from the very beginning, we as a church would have a vision uh, for multiplication. That that would be a major marker of success for us. And I just want to tell you. Um, some ways that we've done this. Just even some of you are new and kind of catch you up on all that's happened over our three short years of existence. We've gone from uh, around 20 covenant members to about 120 covenant members. Uh, We've multiplied our city groups from just a couple um, in the summer of 2011 to what we hope is around a dozen at the end of this year. Um, We've given away a lot of money for multiplication in areas that we can't impact as well as other people. Um, I I looked at it last year, we gave away $20,933. $20,933. And let me just tell you some of the places this money went. Some of it stayed local to, to support local organizations that are doing ministry and work in the city far better than we ever could. Uh, some of it went to Baltimore to start, help get a new church started there, just like ours got started. Some of it went to Kenya with a Huru child um, to provide scholarships for girls uh, of school age who wouldn't be able to go to school, even though they're only middle school age. Some of it went to Peru to start exploring what it looks like um, for us to come alongside indigenous leaders there to help start a church. in a region of Peru where less than 1% of the population has really heard of or follows or believes Jesus. Some of them went to Asia. Um, and, and I can't really even be any more specific than that because the region that we were funding is so dangerous. It's a it's predominantly Muslim um, context where a, a guy and his wife and, and two small kids move to this area of Asia that's predominantly Muslim to teach about who Jesus is, even though it could cost him and his family their lives, but now they're starting churches in the homes of locals there um, because that's really the only option for them. And so before we even kind of talk about the future, what I want you to see is that when you give your money to the summit, when you give your time to the summit, when you volunteer here at the summit, when you give your life to the summit, you are part of impacting the world. Do do you see that and understand that? What's happening here is impacting, is being multiplied to the ends of the earth. And so as we look then to 2014, here's kind of what we're hoping from an organizational level. The first is that we continue to multiply ourselves globally. We we have a vision to continue to multiply ourselves um, globally. Particularly, we want to impact in 2014 three continents in a really profound way. South America... Um, that's that's one of the continents. It's kind of like a map test for you here. South America, um, where we will continue to see basically what does it look like for us to help uh, a church get started in this region of Peru. Um, Africa will continue to help support a Huru child um, to help basically get these children um, create for them um, sustainable and dignified steps out of poverty as well as Asia. Many of you know that my family um, is adopting and um, we are adopting from Taiwan. And so we hope not just to adopt from Taiwan and have our baby home this year, um, but also to ignite a culture of adoption in the life of the summit uh, as well. Also, we want to multiply ourselves locally, okay? Not just globally, but locally. And um, the best way or, or kind of the primary way that I want to emphasize this for us is that in 2014, what I'm hoping that we'll do is that we will multiply services, that we as a church will add a second service, particularly in the morning. Now, let me just give a disclaimer with this. Um, one, I'm not going to kind of give into the logistics or the thought that went into this. We've had a couple family gatherings talking about this. I'm happy to continue to ask, uh, answer any questions. Um, the second is that uh, we don't have a firm timeline for this. We shared this last Wednesday with you guys who came to the family gathering. We don't have a firm timeline. We're kind of weighing things and seeing what our numbers are. But we hope that sometime in 2014, either in the spring or the fall, this is a reality. But here's what you need to know is that for us as a church, we have never wanted to to allow the size of the vision of what God can do in this city be limited to the size of this room or this building. And I know even like right now, like the room feels full and there's energy and it's exciting and it freaks me out to think about ever having a week where it doesn't feel like that. I love nights like tonight but there are 3 million people in the city and we believe that God loves every single one of them. And because he loves them, we love them. And because of that, our vision is expanded of what he can do in and through our church. We don't have to reach everybody. We love the other churches in the city that are doing good work too, but we can reach more. And there are people you can think of right now that you love and care about, who are living broken, self-destructive lives, and you know it doesn't have to be that way anymore. You've tasted it. And so that's what we're just asking God for, is to say, okay, grow us to the point that we need to add a second service, preferably one in the morning, to reach that people group of people who are like, I'm in town on Sundays in the mornings. I know those, you know, it's kind of hard to believe those people exist, but there's a lot of them um, in our city. Okay? So we want to multiply organizationally. Now, we also want to multiply on an individual level. Okay? We want to multiply on an individual level. And again, um, this has always been part of our DNA as a church. In fact, I feel like um, the best, what I love about here at the summit is we've experienced so much grace and goodness that um, a lot of times I cannot, I don't have to tell, I can just show. Um, so let's just do a little bit of a, a audience participation experiment. Um, if you were part of the original core team of the Summit Church. I'm talking like you moved to Denver from North Carolina for the specific purpose of starting the Summit Church. Can you just raise your hand? Okay, so you see, look around you, like there's some hands here. It's probably like 15 to 20 hands you're seeing raised right now. Now, here's what I want you to do. You can go ahead and put your hands down. Um, Here's, actually, no, put them back up. Yeah, this is, I'm kind of doing this on the fly here. Um, Okay, so you see these hands do you see how few hands change and impact so many lives? Does that dawn on you whatsoever that, that like 15 to 20 people could impact the size of this room? Isn't that amazing to you whatsoever? Okay, you put your hands down now. Now, here's the question I want you to ask yourself. What if every single person in this room had that same sort of vision for 2014 and, and the many years to come. Not only what could the Summit Church look like, but also what could this city look like, and how could this city be deeply impacted? This church has been built on the backs of individuals multiplying their lives, and you need to even wrap your mind around this. If you're excited about kind of organizational multiplication, and you would love to, you know, have a morning service, you need to understand, like, we don't just kind of snap our fingers and it magically appears. That happens because men and women like us carry the weight, the burden to multiply our lives in this city. So that's why I want to challenge you. the, The primary thing I want to challenge you to do this year is to have a vision to multiply your life. Yes, like do we need you to be committed? Yes, like if you're new here and you know, you're know you maybe thinking about um, joining the church or learning what it means to follow Jesus, we would love to have a conversation. That'd be so helpful to us in 2014. Do we need you to be generous this year? Yes, I mean, we are going to expand our vision and expanded vision means expanded generosity as well. If any of these things are gonna happen and we're gonna double kind of everything that we do, but here's the primary thing I wanna challenge you to. I want to challenge you to multiply your life. And I don't want to just kind of say that in any vague way. What we've done is even kind of come up with a cute little picture that you can even draw on a napkin to kind of help you wrap your mind uh, around what this looks like. Isn't that cool? This is hand-drawn by Zach Florence himself. So I just feel like, you know, good job, Zach. Yes. Um, so here's what I want you to think about in 2014. I want you to think about uh, multiplying your life in three people. Three people, okay? I I want you to think about three people you would really love to see your life multiplied in 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 2014. Now, some of you are probably like, I I don't, you know, three people aren't instantly jumping to my mind. Well, you know, I'm glad you asked because we have this cool little chart to help you kind of think about how doing this. Now, all of us, no matter our kind of profession or what we do or, you know, whether you work an 80 hour week or whether you're a stay at home mom and you work much more than an 80 hour week, um, you know, all of us kind of have the same rhythms in our lives. What we have is a roof, right? We, we live in a house and maybe that's a duplex and maybe that's an apartment and uh, you know, maybe that's with your family or maybe that's with roommates or maybe that's alone. But you have your roof and you, know, you leave your house and you have some sort of routine. You have routines where you get coffee or you get drinks or you, uh, you know, you're one of the crazy people who plays uh, kickball like you're still in college at City Park every single summer when the weather is nice. You have routines, you go to your job, you get your haircut. cut, you, you just go places in the ebb and flow of your everyday life. And hopefully, as you leave your house and go on routines, you're hopefully developing relationships as well. You're hopefully not just thinking, like, how can I get home as quickly as possible? Uh, because, you know, I've got the bachelor DVR'd and I just want to get that thing. And, you know, how can I check out of the grocery store ASAP? I'm not speaking for personal experience here, though, okay? Um, <laughs> I got to say this. My wife and I are going to watch The Bachelor Wedding tonight. That has nothing to do with, our, I feel like that's going to lose. Every, um, some of you know, that's, that's why that, that just popped into my mind real quick. So, hopefully, you know, I'm not trying to run out of here being like, man, I got the bachelor wedding tonight. You know, I'm like, I'm hopefully trying to get to know people and get connected to people and not trying to rush home as quickly as possible. I am striving. You're not hearing anything I'm saying, are you? Um, (laughs) I am desiring to multiply my life, to develop relationships. And hopefully, as I leave my house and go on these routines and develop relationships, three people, Three people, maybe they live under your roof, maybe they're a roommate, maybe they're the person who cuts your hair, maybe they're a coworker, maybe they're an employee. I'm not sure who it is, but three people hopefully start to come to mind and say, I would love to see God do in your life uh, what he's done in my life. I would love to see, like, my story be multiplied to the people that matter the most. You say, well, how do you do that? Well, I'm glad you asked because that's why we had the three eyes right in the middle. What we would challenge you to do is with those three people, what you would first think is about investing in them. And when I say invest, all, all I'm saying is that you would try to strategize of how you could bless that person's life. Like, is that really that kind of, like, Intimidating or hard to do. Just all you think is like, man, how can I be a blessing to you? How can I um, pray for you? How can I find out your needs? How can I meet those needs in kind of a real, tangible way? How how can I do um, whatever it takes for you to to feel the love of Jesus in very real and tangible ways? I'm not sure who exactly is hesitant, you know, to experience that because it's an incredible, incredible thing. Now. What we would hope is that as relationships build, then you would think about inviting them and specifically inviting those people into the life of the summit church. Now that could mean uh, maybe inviting somebody to a city group. <clears throat> maybe it means a Sunday gathering like this one. Uh, maybe it means um, even like the Super Bowl this, this coming week. You're like, hey, you know, my church, I know you don't want to come to church when we're having church, but we're throwing a party and we'd love to have you come. Maybe you can meet some people from church and see that, you know, they're not like those religious whack jobs. At least I hope you don't think we are. Um, you know, like you're probably thinking that we are. We'd love to have you just come. To meet some people or maybe it's not even a program that we we kind of put out there maybe it's like man like me and some friends from church are going to little man ice cream and i'd love to have you join out i i don't know who who, who rejects that Who rejects that offer? Nobody. Um, You know, me and some friends, we're going to the park, and we're going to play um, volleyball at Wash Park, because that's just what we do on Saturdays. Whatever it is, whatever your rhythms, you're trying to invite people into uh, your family, into your friendships, into your home, so they can just kind of be exposed to, like, the goodness of what life looks like when Jesus Christ is Lord. That's that's how the people of God do life. And then third and finally, we want to challenge you to introduce, and, and specifically introduce to the person of Jesus. Now, I know this is where all the walls get put up and you feel like it's a little bit awkward, it's a little bit intimidating, you're hoping they would be friends and not view you as the religious nut job. But here's the deal, is that what I believe is if you kind of take a step back from that and and really evaluate your life, and I mean the Summit Church is just full of men and women who have been radically changed by Jesus. And when so many of you see the goodness that Jesus has is planted into your life the forgiveness he's extended, the grace for a new beginning, the forgiveness that we continue to need every single day when we just perpetuate in really stupid, self-destructive decision making. Is so that we do, we we do love to multiply what we find good and beautiful in the lives of those who matter the most. And I, I think that, I mean, as As intimidating as it might feel, like, I mean, so many of you have experienced that, that I think I don't have to, like, convince you. I think you already want to see the same changes happen to you, happen to those three people that you care about so much as well. And so, I mean, maybe it means you don't have all the answers, and maybe you don't know exactly how it's going to go. But as you're developing these relationships and these friendships, and as you talk about the areas of your life that matter the most, you're going to have an opportunity to share your story and what you did this week. And you don't have to edit out that you went to Citigroup. You can tell that's what you actually did. And I think that like, as you pray and ask God to open up doors, what you're going to see is you're going to have a lot more opportunities to impact and change people's lives than you could ever begin to imagine. And so, so even tonight, what I would maybe challenge you to do, if you're a follower of Jesus, is, is maybe to take 15 minutes and just think about this. You, you can draw it down on the back of the worship guide or we can uh, put it on the blog or something like that. And, and you can really begin to, to start thinking about what does it look like for you to multiply your life in a meaningful way in three people? In 2014. All right, that's a ton of information. Um, It feels like a lot. It feels overwhelming. Um, It feels, in many ways, also very unglamorous, doesn't it? I mean, if we're just kind of transparent and honest as we think about this big vision for for 2014 and where we're going. But, But here's what we've always believed here at the summit what we've always believed here at the summit is that the most significant, beautiful changes are the fruit some of the most unglamorous steps. And uh, the way we've explained this, the best way I can explain this, is this kind of life change and impact in the city um, really is a lot like uh, hiking a 14er. I don't know if you've ever hiked a 14er, um, but none of it is very glamorous. You know, like you get up at 5 a.m. so you can get to the mountain on time and not get struck by lightning midday. All right, check. Um, you get to the trailhead and you've like packed your pack full of so much water that it could like hydrate a small nation, check. And then you know what you do? You take 10,000 steps, like 10,000 steps. And you know what's, you get your head down. Have you ever done this? What's in front of you? Rocks and dirt. Step, 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 step. But you know what happens after about 10,000 steps? A view that's so beautiful, your mind can scarcely comprehend it. And it's gonna be the same way for us as the Summit family in 2014. I understand that probably right now, none of this seems glamorous. I won't even feel glamorous this week. You know, start doing my life with some sort of intentionality where I'm not trying to get home as quickly as possible from the grocery store. Okay, check. It stresses me out. I love being home. Um, Like really try to get to know people in such a way that like, I'm not waiting for you to finish so I can tell you how good I am and how much better I was at the thing you just brought up. But instead, I'm going to have a conversation in such a way that I'm going to serve you and get to know you instead of trying to impress you with how amazing I am. Like, that's really hard to do. Like, okay, check. And do that again and again And again and again, and it feels like nothing more than 10,000 steps where all that's in front of you are rocks and dirt. But you know what happens after those 10,000 steps? A beautiful view called life change that is so spectacular that our minds can scarcely comprehend it. And so as we look to 2014, and as we ask God to help us multiply, what I pray is that you will lock arms alongside Me and us, and we will continue to believe and anticipate great things of God. And I can't wait uh, to see where we are at the end of this year. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you that last year we asked for something audacious of letting us be a church that puts down roots in this community. And you did it in a way that was greater than what we even asked for. And so as we think about as we think about this coming year, and I think about how this room, if they, even in this room, we know we even have a number of people that aren't even here tonight, but if we think of this room as people who, okay, I'm going to meaningfully impact three people, we think about how there are close to a thousand lives that could be changed in the coming year. And so God, this is how a city is changed. And our Hope for this happening is on you. We ask that your Holy Spirit, that he would empower us. We pray that even now, that as we respond, that people would um, recognize their need for you and believe you and follow you. And even the Christian who's been here for for years, would maybe for the first time in their life, step out in faith and be willing to get uncomfortable with the people who matter the most. God, help me do this. Um, It's tremendously frightening, and I love to be liked by people. Help our people do this and help us overcome our fear and let us multiply the grace and glory of God as we were created to do. We ask all these things in your powerful name, amen.